2: On today's episode, Liz and I sit down with Dr. John Van Epp and discuss a healthier approach for dating and marriage. Dr. Van Epp is the president and founder of Love Thinks and is the author of several books, including his famous book titled How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk or Jerket. He has previous experience as a founding church pastor, an adjunct seminary professor in marriage and family with extensive research in premarital, marital, and family relations, he also has worked as a clinical counselor for 25 years in his private counseling practice, and for over 20 years, he has trained military personnel and contracted with the military as a subject matter expert in relationship health, psychology, religion, suicide, and resilience. For the past 25 years, Dr. Van Epp has developed relationship programs that have been taught by over 35,000 certified instructors to over 1 million participants, He has been featured in The Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, Psychology Today, The O Magazine, and he has appeared on the CBS early show Good Morning America, Fox News, and Focus on the Family. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Stronger Marriage Connection. I'm Dr. Dave here at Utah State University, alongside Dr. Liz Hale, our licensed clinical psychologist. We are dedicating our lives to bring you the best research and the resources and tips and tools to help you have the marriage of your dreams. Okay, I'm excited and so eager about our episode today. Um, Dr. John is an author. He's a fellow podcaster. He's a clinical counselor. He's a church pastor, as well as the creator of one of the nation's most popular relationship education programs and books called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk or Jerkette. (laughs) He's also a good friend and colleague and partner with us on our Healthy Relationships Utah Projects. He's been out and helped us on the Utah Marriage Commission. I can't speak highly enough of Dr. John Van Epp. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, and uh, thank you so much for having me. I um, look forward to this. Yes, we are as well. Now, John, you continue to do so much. You and your daughter, Morgan, who we talked beforehand that we've got to get her on, so we'll have her on as well. Um, We've had her do uh, amazing presentations here for the Utah Marriage Commission as well, so we appreciate you making um, time for us today. Hey, can we kick things off by looking... Kind of t- taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture, the internet has not only changed our lives, but it's had a particular influence on dating, right? Matchmaking services. Now there's all kinds of apps and programs and so much more. So, what's, what's your take on how the life partner selection process?
3: Well, you know, I think if, if we want to take the really big kind of, uh, look at it all, we could go all the way back to about 80% of all societies, um, several hundred years ago were actually engaged in arranged marriages where families were highly involved. So <laughs> a lot of us in the freedom of the Western, uh, culture, you know, would not want, uh, somebody, di- you know, directing who we're going to end up spending the rest of our life with as a, as a romantic life partner, right? Um, I know I didn't want to uh, back in the seventies when I met my wife and we got married in 1979. So we've been married almost 44 years. It will be this summer. So been great, great life together, but I didn't really want my dad or my mom or anybody else to be (laughs) navigating that whole process. But what they used back then to navigate the process was not just intuition. It was not just social status. There were family values. There were really quite a number of things, which as we became more and more individualistic, you know, coming into the, you know, 20th century, and particularly when you get into like the 1960s, and we, you know, this was um times when, you know, we really wanted to be our own individual. We didn't want to be even associated necessarily coming out of the 60s. We don't even want to be associated necessarily with the family Upbringing, you know, I'm my own person. And if you understand that whole movement, um, kind of away from the values of the unit, the kind of collectivistic values of giving and living for somebody other than yourself and the emergence of the values of me as an individual, I want to find myself. Um, I want to, I want to, you know, have a relationship that fulfills me. And that's what's really most important. If you understand that kind of trend where, you know, the balance, the scales tipped way more in the individualism than living for others, then you start to understand, um, what really changed in the whole route from being, you know, an adolescent to going into young adulthood. To ultimately choosing a marriage partner. Um, and we might say uh, for many, they just are thinking, now I just want to look around for a partner, you know, somebody to spend um, maybe not even my life with, but somebody that I can spend some time with. So these transitions greatly change dating. And then you get into um, really the 80s and 90s and you start to see, um, apps, you know, eventually, but starting with websites that were to really help people in that process of choosing a life partner where they weren't dependent on the family to guide the process, but they began to be dependent on the assessments in the app. So like, I don't want to mention any in particular, but they had ones that were all about compatibility, right? And these made literally millions and millions of dollars every month because people were so hungry For somebody to come alongside them and help them in the process. So um, unfortunately, uh a lot of those um what we call dating apps, I I prefer to call them meeting apps. Where to meet somebody, they were they were really used as um, you might say, arranged marriage apps (laughs) because they were, let's let's find the person that I can, you know, spend the rest of my life with. Um, as that began to evolve, um, more and more apps were about, let's just live in the moment. Let's not think about commitment. Let's not think about uh, any type of partnership. Let's just find somebody to be with today in this moment. And, um, you know, you have different apps. Um, like I said, I'm not going to mention any app names, but that really started to be uh, really in the real time apps. Um, I could be in a location. I could see anybody else that's on that app. I could, you know, message them right there in the moment and maybe have some kind of a meetup right there. Some of those started to really lead this kind of movement away more and more and more. Um, And I think there was many converging things, movement away from any kind of commitment. So let's not let's not lock ourselves up. Let's not like, you know, let's not nail anything down. Let's just let's just, you know, meet up, see where it goes um, do you guys all remember Netflix and chill, right? So that that kind of came and went as a as a saying that was like, hey, let's just let's not define anything about our relationship. Let's just see where, let's, let's just be together to the point where now we have uh what are called situationships. I don't know if you 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 and your listeners have caught on to that one, but you ought to just you know do a little search on situationships, which are to say, hey, let's give a term. To a label-less relationship, a relationship where we're not going to define anything. So this has led to a massive amount of confusion in the whole dating world. And, um, and I think unfortunately the, the move away from commitment was because uh, in many ways it was thought, if I'm committed, I, I could get hurt. And I, I really think if, if we do a big analysis, particularly of, Um, late teens, you know, 18, 19, 20, you know, early 20s, um, all the way to into their 30s. The avoidance of really getting burned and hurt is a pretty powerful driving force for a lot of them. So they want relationships where they have low risk. But the problem is many times, um, falling in love, if you don't have any definition and you're not talking about the relationship, Falling in love still happens and you still feel bonded and you still start to form that kind of connection with somebody that when they break, you know, their loyalty to you because there's no defined commitment, it is really devastating. You know, we see all kinds of evidence of that in mental health. We see it in relational health and a lack of relational health, um, All the the way around, and we see it in suicide rates. So we see, we just see a lot of kind of like the 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 backfiring. So that's kind of a really big picture, bringing it to present day. And what drove me in the '90s, um, when I had a private practice, I had a counseling practice for just shy of 30 years, and something midway in that private practice was a turning point for me to to go upstream and create something preventative. So I wanted individuals to have their own kind of personalized game plan for choosing a life partner that rather than relying on an app or relying on something on the website or relying on family even, what do I need to know to be able to be the most informed and you might say the most proficient at being able to build a healthy relationship and have my head and my heart actually in harmony in the process and lower my personal risk. So I wanted people to have lower risk, but to do it informed rather than to try to do it by just avoiding commitment.
1: Gosh, I love that. Informed and proficient. Mm. I often will say to my dating clients in practice is get, get to know faster, right? Get to know that this is not a match faster. Don't just hang on hoping things will get better, or in the meantime, right, until someone better comes along. I think we owe it. I think singles owe it to each other, to let each other go and pursue another relationships if we know it's not a match. Would you agree?
3: Yeah, that, that getting to know was a big part of it. So um, back there in the 90s, I, I had my private practice. I was actually teaching advanced graduate studies in um, marriage and family assessment, marriage and family relationships, things like that. And I was coming across some research, uh, which one of your colleagues um, back in that day uh, was the only one that I really found working with some of this uh, published research. And it was in a category that I called premarital uh, predictions of marital outcomes. So what before marriage predicts an outcome after marriage. So usually we think of how to help married couples once they're married. But I was like, hey, let's go all the way upstream before they even choose somebody. What were some of the um, major predictors about of somebody that they're interested in that would predict what they're going to be like 10 years down the road in a committed marriage relationship? So I began to collect these studies and started to organize them. And I literally found hundreds of research, published research studies and psychosocial research that had some element of predictability from something before marriage. And I found that they fell somewhat neatly into about five target areas or five categories. And that became the content of the How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk or Jerkette book, five different chapters on just what you said, Liz. What really do we need to get to know about somebody that will best foreshadow how they're going to treat me? Because how they're treating me in the beginning of a relationship is not always how they're going to treat me down the road. So, you know, how can I be a good kind of wise predictor while I'm, you know, falling in love with them and we're having a good time and we're just, you know, having fun and relaxing and having a good time. But I want to be engaging discernment in the very process. Cool. So
1: there is getting to know someone, K-N-O-W, and then there's getting to know, N-O, where we are not a match, right? (laughs) Both, both I think, are so key. The media certainly plays a huge role in affecting people's thoughts and ideas about dating and romantic relationships. Do you get the sense, John and Dave, too, that Hollywood has romanticized dating and partner selection? So it becomes more of a trusting in fate rather than trusting the process. What's your take?
3: Well, Dave, you can certainly respond to that too. I, um, I was flying home just recently and I, and I watched a movie about, uh, this whole area of fate, you know, that, that fate plays and the whole plot of the movie. It's a, it's a movie that's right out right now, but the whole plot of the movie is two people that already have a partner that they're, um, intending on marrying or, and, but they, they end up, Breaking off that engagement because they fate brought them together and that the whole idea is that you really don't have to engage your thinking that, um, true love has a mind of its own. It, it will find you. It will lead you and it will establish that permanent, perfect, you know, romantic love relationship. Um, I think that's the theme of many you know, movies, but I really do think those movies are more, rather than leading contemporary culture, I think that they are more kind of mirroring how people do think. Uh, Deep down inside, people think, you know, I, I really shouldn't have to work at a relationship. If it's a good relationship, it doesn't require work. And when it comes to falling in love with somebody I really need to let you know the universe guide me to just the right person. I, I, I don't need to engage in anything. But that's so contrary to our whole history of forming arrangements and everything else. And it's even contrary to that whole big rush to go onto a website and to take an online compatibility test for that compatibility test to try to match me. Um, if the universe is doing it, we don't need any of these things. But the reality is... We need to be way more involved than um this kind of romantic uh concept,
2: yeah, oh man, I couldn't agree more and and John, I would add that in the movies, it just feels like you know if it feel it just feels right you know to to be led this and not to be committed to this person, and then it gets physical so fast, which flies in the face of your relationship um attachment. Model and kind of the, the stages and and where we should go as we get to to know each other in a in a relationship. So let me ask you this: Where's the balance then? In in uh, you know things happen for a reason, and and as well as all right personal choice, you know, or even trusting in a higher power. And I'm just going to close my eyes and let let fate happen. How does one go about keeping the heart working together with the head, as you talk about?
3: I think. Um... You know, I, uh, there's an, there's a older book that was out, uh, called the tipping point. And then later there, he wrote another book. Malcolm wrote another book about, um, just kind of, uh, intuition and knowing things intuitively. What I really found interesting about that book that he wrote, uh, about intuition uh, I'm trying to remember, if you can remember the name of uh, that Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, if anybody can remember the name of it, just tell me. But um, when you read it, the people that had the best intuition, which was kind of his his argument, you know, let intuition be a guide, were the people that had spent years and usually decades of study in the area that now they were intuitive so like um somebody that could look at a piece of art and uh, almost intuitively automatically um oh it's called blink blink right? yep. the You're power right. of thinking
1: yep. without thinking yeah yeah
3: thank you <laughs> mm-hmm. and um in the in the blink of an eye they would know whether it was legitimate or whether it was fraudulent wow we'll be right back after this brief message And we're back. Let's dive right in. But the people that could do that were those that had studied art for, you know, 40, 50 years. So, what I would kind of parallel is intuition in choosing a life partner doesn't come from lack of knowledge or ignorance, or it is not born in you as some kind of magical thing. It is rather. If you would really kind of study the science of love and choosing people and having a good relationship, if you, if you really have a fairly broad understanding of, I'll give you a couple areas here. So some of the five areas are like one is what somebody took out of their family background. Well, we're all products of our, the family we grew up in. If we either imitate it or if we, Tend to, um, say, Oh, I didn't like what happened in my family. I want to do it differently. We still can understand a lot about this, you know, 25 year old, 35 year old, or even 55 year old person by knowing what they liked and did not like and what they took out of their family upbringing, what they revolted against and what they mirrored, you know, what they wanted to repeat. Um, right. And we can also know. Uh, a lot about their values. So the idea of getting to know somebody also includes hearing stories about their upbringing and what life was like and what they liked and what they didn't like and kind of getting into that history. Well, I put in the book, you know, how do you translate that into a dating relationship without interrogating somebody about their family? Well, I think it's possible to do. A lot of people like to talk about their family upbringing I can just give you one example. So when I was uh, growing up, my mom developed cancer when I was in junior high and passed away um, the very first day of my 10th grade in high school. And I, I was the youngest of five. I was in Northern Ohio. Um, we lived on a farm. My my dad wasn't a farmer, but um, we all loved the farm and animals. and And my Um, other four siblings were out of the home. Two of them were in college and the other two were already married. And so it was really just my dad and I in this large, uh, farmhouse. And my dad was a World War II vet and, um, was part of that greatest generation and wasn't real adept at talking out his emotions or being able to sit down and have a conversation about, you know, mom that just passed away. So, There was a lot of, of grieving on my own. So I, you know, my dad, I'm sure did some grieving and, um, he had known my mom since elementary school and they had been kind of childhood sweethearts. And so it was a tremendous loss for him. They had a great relationship, but the way he managed is he threw himself into dating within months. And so there was this kind of strange thing of losing a a key person in the home. My dad, um, not really saying, I love you or being real physically expressive with hugs and not being able to talk things through. And so very much alone. And then within months, um, new women coming into the house. And, um, so by summer. He had met somebody and within what I call the 90 day probation period of a relationship, okay? <laughs> before you really like like you were saying, Liz, before you can really know or say no, yeah, that's right. <laughs> using both spellings of the word. Um, my dad had met somebody and uh after about two and a half months married her. And um there was this uh in that whole process, I can remember. Um, before that marriage took place and in that kind of cold winter of Ohio, uh, you all know in Utah the, the cold winters, Um, I, I felt that need to go to my father and try to actually engage in some kind of close moment of talking about, um, our relationship about mom and, um, and i just thought i would start out by saying dad i love you because that that really wasn't between my father and i and um i don't think it really happened between him and any of my siblings that i knew of but it wasn't his it wasn't where he was comfortable you know so it was this really kind of tense awkward moment and i i can remember going to my dad he was reading the newspaper in the living room this was in the winter he had not met what became his future wife yet but he was he was dating and i I said, dad, I'm going to go to bed now. And he looks over the newspaper and he goes, okay, John, good night. And, um, I said, before I go to bed, there's just something I wanted to say. And then there's this, you know, (laughs) the pause that feels like a century. And I go, dad, I love you. And he looks at me and in this awkwardness, he goes, uh, me too. And I can remember, I just like cut it short. I went to my bedroom and, um, It almost was humorous to me. What? I I love my dad and he loves himself too. You know, he didn't say, John, I love you. Me too. And so it it was like, I I am not going to cross that line again, you know? And I can remember, you know, after he got married and uh, I really our she had four kids. There were five in my family, the whole kind of um, family shifted from uh, kind of our family to now. This blended family and many people have had this experience radically changed. I became very independent, um, had a lot of things go on. But the point is, is that I had an experience, um, thankfully, right when I was going into to college, you know, just before I graduated high school, heading toward college, that was a, a real life changing experience. It was actually a faith experience and um, it opened me up to being more expressive. And I, I think that it would have been, you know, more likely for me to just kind of follow in the footsteps of my father. But what opened up was, you know, give, express your love with hugs, give people, you know, some kind of show, be more comfortable with saying, I love you to the people that you really love and care about. And that was not only a sign of the times um, in the seventies, uh, but I think it was also a turning point for me and my family to say, Hey, I, I want to, um, you know, I, a lot of things I like about my dad, but I want to be a different kind of man in my marriage and family, uh, in some ways than my dad was. And I'm just using that as an example that when I met Shirley, um, who I've been married to now 44 years, when I met her, it was important for her to know. How I was going to be similar or different than my father. If she really wanted to predict, I mean, she could have that magic moment of being in love with me right there in that moment. But if she really wanted to know what I was going to be like, she needed to hear what experiences I had in my family background, what I was going to take out and what I was going to revise. And was I being successful in revising it? That's just one of five key areas that I think make us much more discerning in the whole process of love and selecting a partner and not just
0: mm. enjoying
3: the moment, mm. but being able to predict the future at the same time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, for those of us, those who are single, I have a really tender spot for singles, John and Dave, cause I was older when I married. So ah, it's near and dear in my heart. Those who are dating and in their heart of hearts, they really want marriage. They really want to commit a committed relationship. Are there key things to look for? Either maybe red flags, green lights. What are, what are your top suggestions, please, John?
3: Yeah, there a lot of those uh green lights, um uh we'll call them green flags and red flags, okay? But a lot of them really do fit into the five areas. So um I'll just tell everybody the five, but um if you really want to know more, family is one. But a second um, area that is very close to the family is how a person's conscience works. And um, if you just take a moment and you think about the conscience, that is our self-monitoring. So, you know, we have a lot about EQ or emotional intelligence, um, the ability to self-regulate. You know, when you get angry, are you able to, like, keep your cool and manage things? And do you have situational awareness, right? These are all terms that really... Uh, convey a function of what we would call this kind of conscience. So uh, the conscience is like, um, you know, when we say double-minded, I don't mean, you know, you're confusing and you, and you can't make a decision. I mean, you have one mind that's living life and another mind that is watching. So I'm kind of watching myself. We all do this, right? We start to get upset. And we're in a conversation with somebody and we start to say something and something inside our head says, eh, don't do that. You know, just put a lid on it. Don't say it. And some of us have the willpower to shut the mouth and others don't. Right. And then later we regret it. And, and that regret later is also a function of the conscience. So the strength of the conscience can maybe help you to keep your mouth shut in the moment and regulate yourself a little differently, monitor yourself a little differently, but it can also help you to self-reflect later on and say, ah, I shouldn't have said that, Um, or, you know, maybe I need to go and do something about it. All of these, you know, aspects that are so important in a long-term relationship, how we resolve conflicts, how we handle a conflict, how we manage ourselves in the moment um, are tightly woven in a converging experience in the functioning of the conscience. And so, and even empathy, you know, the ability for me to think, wow, you know, I was just talking and, um, I forgot to ask somebody about something, man, that probably made them feel invisible. Like they probably were hoping I had asked them about it. And my conscience steps out of my experience into another person's world and says, how do they feel? You know, um, how does John look through their eyes? That functioning of the conscience is a key area to get to know. But if you think about dating, you know, first of all, we don't have dating classes for the most part. Well, if, if Utah is teaching how to avoid falling in love with a jerk or jerkette, they have dating that's classes. True. That's true. Right? But, um, but a lot of individuals don't ever get any kind of education in this. But one of the areas that they need to be educated on is how do I figure out the maturity and the functioning of the Mm. conscience of this person that I'm in a relationship with? Because how they're being conscientious toward me right here in the moment might be because they really like me and everything's exciting and new, but it may not predict the long-term functioning of their conscience that I'm really going to have to live with if I have a life partnership with them. So family conscience you can automatically begin to see where green flags and red flags and then three other areas i would say compatibility potential the compatibility of our personalities our values our lifestyle those are three major areas of compatibility then also just kind of their track record is another you can really predict a lot about how somebody's going to act with you by just looking at how they treat everybody else so um their previous uh uh, romantic partners as well as maybe friends and family and coworkers and authority and on and on. And then the 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 last area is, of course, their skill level. How proficient are they at relationship skills? So those five areas became five chapters in my book and became what I called a drop-down box under getting to know somebody. And um as you guys know, I, I put all of that into a relationship attachment model that had some other areas of the heart. So I said the head, these five areas you get to know, actually have to be balanced with the building of the heart connection with somebody, which that relationship attachment model helped to, to define.
2: Mm,
1: yeah,
3: brilliant. Nice.
1: Nice. I love yeah. this. Okay, red. It
3: sounds like a lot of work. I, I'm, I'm imagining now my conscience is saying, oh, there's people listening to everybody like, oh, that's way too much work for me. The reality is, is that um, it really isn't. Um, And it's what everybody is already doing, doing yes. anyway. It's just giving them some good information so that they feel inf- more informed about the process of what they're already doing. So if you're thinking like, oh, I don't really, I, I got to get to know all this stuff about somebody. It's like, Well, yeah, you're going to, that's what's going to happen anyway. I'm just going to help you to have more definition. And I have a, I have a saying I've used for a long time. Uh, with definition comes implementation without definition, no implementation. So it's, in other words, it's hard to do something when you don't know or can't define what you're doing. But as soon as you have some information, some good definition, it makes it actually way easier. It's just like driving the car. As soon as that GPS system is telling you where to go, you don't even think about it. You just relax and enjoy the ride. And with greater understanding, you can enjoy the ride of a rate of a romantic dating relationship way better.
1: I, I think quite just the opposite. You really simplified these five areas, I think, John, beautifully. We can't avoid not to look at these five areas, whether we're dating or whether we are married also, right? We deepen those connections and that insight, that learning, that knowing about each other. Yeah. It's interesting.
3: You, You would almost think that there is a devil in our culture working against the formation of successful relationships, romantic relationships. For example, you know, don't judge me. Uh, you know, we're not allowed to be judging, you know, you're not allowed to judge anybody. And so that has kind of led to don't be discerning. Don't even, don't even gauge your head. Just, you know, uh, let fate lead you. Don't be intentional and thoughtful and involved. Well, I sat down for years in my account when I had a counseling practice, I sat down for years and I just heard so many people say, you know, um, I'm in a relationship and she's doing ABC. Should I be worried about that? And it's like, they have no... Kind of like ability to, to make a good judgment of character and they feel kind of guilty making any kind of discerning judgment. So it's almost like working against, um, if you sit down with somebody and you, and you say, you know, tell me more about your family. Um, this whole kind of let's not be serious. Let's just enjoy the moment, have a good time and not be serious is really an anti, get to know you process. <laughs> and I think all of these things end up being, you might say, if you think of, you know, wading through the water of an ocean, these are all like undercurrents pulling you in the wrong direction. Um it is good to get to know somebody. It's um helpful to to be able to to have conversations where you you know kind of go a little more in depth. Um, it's great to be able to to really be thoughtful and um, discerning of somebody while you like them and are attracted to them. Because just because you're attracted doesn't automatically mean that you're going to um, have a good partner. You can get attracted to a sociopath. Okay. There are people that have major problems that we can be attracted to. So attraction alone, chemistry alone is not enough. We need to be able to have the head and the heart work together. Yeah. Let
2: me ask you the, this then. That makes me think of this question in your in your clinical practice, or as you if you've seen couples over the years, are the same types of issues, or do you see these new stresses and struggles that arise today?
3: It's a really good question. I um, I do think in some ways there's nothing new under the sun, but um, obviously uh, things change a lot and. Um, You know, I, I would say that with technology, with, uh, the, the phones there's, so maybe there was always something distracting somebody from their partner, you know, the kind of the old image of the guy sitting there smoking his pipe, reading his newspaper while his wife feels neglected or something like that. Well, now, you know, it's me on my phone, you know, doing little searches and it could be her on her phone. Right. So, um, if the concept that we don't meet each other's needs um, is a is a concept that's been around for you know decades, centuries, millennia, then it just kind of changes with um the changes in common culture and society and technology and on and on. So um in some ways, David, I'd say uh yes, uh things are new. In other ways, it's it's really conceptually some of the same things just repeating themselves. That relationship attachment model that that we were all talking about that can be used really for singles in choosing a partner can also be used for couples in being more thoughtful about their relationship. In the same way, even though we've been married 44 years, we need a common language to be able to talk about our relationship. And this is one um, very, very common problem I always saw couples have. they They didn't know how to really connect in a non defensive way talking about the major areas of a relationship that one might use language that the other one is like i don't know what you're talking about like you say you just want to <laughs> feel close and you want to feel in sync and I, what what more you know we spent all yesterday cleaning the garage how much more in sync what what are you talking about and this ability To really be able to connect in a language. Whoops. Sorry about that on my microphone. Connect in a language that, um, makes sense to both of them was what I tried to put in that relationship attachment model. So if people would just kind of use their imagination and think of, um, a board with five sliders that go up and down, how they know, trust, rely, commit and touch. So starting at the left, um, how much I know somebody. That's really what I've been spending a lot of this time talking to you guys about that singles need to have a drop down box of key areas to get to know about somebody that they're interested in and thinking about having a relationship with. So those were those five areas. But based on what you know, that can that can help you define how far to go in trust. So it's a little dangerous to trust somebody way more than you know them. And then in some marriages you know them a lot which informs how to bring your trust down. Like, I know I can't trust you to remember to get what I asked you to get this morning. So I got to like send you a few text messages in the throughout the day to remind you to do what I had already asked you to do. So my trust, my belief in you is not the same of what I know you. So um, as much as we want, you know, getting to know somebody to lead how you get to trust them, um, how you can then depend on them or rely on them is different as well. So these become areas that are really important in a marriage relationship. Trust is a lot to do with my, my attitude, um, my belief, my respect of my partner, how they feel trusted, um, you know, that I have confidence in them, okay? Um, how we communicate and talk and get to know each other. These can be areas that become great deficits um but i think that they are important areas to keep strengthening we need to strengthening staying in the know you know we don't want to feel like we're out of touch with each other uh we don't want to have these bad attitudes where i hear your voice and immediately what comes to mind is kind of this ugly image in my head you know oh my gosh you know what now um those are attitudes of trust or mistrust and then tons of books have been written about the 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 needs that uh husbands and wives that married couples have, and how two partners can have very different needs and how we need to kind of like love languages how we need to meet the needs of the partner according to what's important and significant to them and that's that's rely how how can I really depend on you to be there for me and to meet my needs and then commitment is the security of your relationship how you're you know, backing each other up and supporting each other. And, you know, if you think of the practical aspects of commitment, and then touch can be everything from affection to your sexual relationship. No, trust, rely, commit, touch are categories, major bonds, but categories of our relationship that we need to pay attention to. And we use that model to help couples that have been in a relationship a long time to continue to actively run their relationship with their head and their heart.
1: Brilliant. I love Ram. I'm such a fan of Ram. I have been so for many years. We also like to ask our guests, pardon me, this particular question. What do you think is the key to a stronger marriage connection?
3: Well, you know, I know you always want one answer. You're you're being so reductionist. So I'm (laughs) going to give you two, um, but they're based on what the conversation today has been about. So we spent the majority of time really talking the singles upstream about partner selection. And um, I would say um, the first is making sure that you really have a person that you're kind of equally yoked with. You know, um, I didn't want somebody exactly like me. My wife has a very different personality than me. And that certainly was part of our chemistry. But I had somebody that had a similar conscience Somebody that, um, we really had very similar values. We had a lot of things that were foundational and continued from 1977 when we first met to today. Okay. A long time making me feel really old, but, um, I guess I'm saying you, you, you better start, uh, in a relationship with, you know, the person that is going to really somebody that, you know, you're happy with and you'll have good times and bad times and you'll have struggles and you'll have to forgive. You'll have to work through issues, but you need to have somebody um, that you've selected uh, with that partner selection kind of approach that um, you're going to really, you might say, feel very secure with going on into the future. The second is I think married couples. Um, what they, if there is really kind of the secret sauce, it was that they would have a game plan for, for managing their relationship. So I, I would go to what we do is in a sports with coaching. You, you gotta, you gotta have a game plan. You just can't go out in the field and expect to win. You gotta have a game plan and you gotta have huddles and you gotta have team meetings and married couples must have some kind of an a fairly organized way to regularly run their relationship. That's what I have in my book Becoming Better Together. It's the one takeaway for married couples which is how to have regular couple meetings. We call them your couple huddle where you can sit down and use that relationship attachment model as your game plan scoreboard. You know, where are we in our relationship? What do we need to do differently? If you can help couples to have a, this kind of of Somewhat formalized, you know, regular sit down where they are not defensive, they're right on the same page, and they they have a common language that they can talk about their relationship. Then you actually spark a ton of spontaneity. Spontane healthy spontaneity comes out of healthy intentionality. So it doesn't just happen automatically. By having that intentional meeting, you spark a tremendous amount of healthy spontaneity throughout the relationship. So having a couple meeting and having this formalized game plan would be how I try to help couples really secure their relationship. Mm.
1: I love the couple huddle. That's adorable. Yeah. It's going to make me smile all day. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, we want people to have access to you as much as possible. Dr. John Van Up, where, where can they go for more information about you and your
3: resources, please? Well, we have a, um, three websites and that's because we have a lot of content. So, yes, you do. um, for those that just want something to do at home, like take an online course or to get, um, uh, we have a, a lot of different kind of different small products that they can get, uh, very inexpensive. Go to my love thinks. So M Y and then love thinks. So not stinks, <laughs> love thinks. So my love com. And you'll see that we have a blog and we have a lot of content. We've had a podcast. So there's a lot of materials and, um, you can also from there link to Dr. Morgan Cutlip, um, C U T like a cut lip, um, Dr. Morgan Cutlip on her Instagram and get content every day. So that would be for at home. If you, um, are really motivated and you want to teach classes and you want to get, you know, maybe a little more of a, of a, You know, insider information. Um, if you go to love things, all of our programs, the research behind our programs and how to become certified in facilitating as an instructor, any of our programs, all of that is on lovethinks.com as well as a store with a lot of products. And then there's one last one I would just mention. There's a lot of people that are involved in churches. We do have, um, All of our content we put into a six-week church-wide series. The entire church, we have content for kindergarten all the way through um, adults, and we have small group video-based studies for adults, and we have messages that are transcripts that can be revised and altered. But it's a great six-week series, and you find that on RAM, R-A-M, ramseries.com. And it's specifically there for churches. And there's like a short four minute video of uh, five pastors nationwide that talk about putting on this series. It's a short video, but it gives you a great kind of introduction to what it could do in your faith community. So my love love com, and ramseries.com are the three areas. And we'll put all those
1: links in our show notes. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, John. I might also add that
2: if you're in Utah Um, You can go to Healthy Relationships Utah. We've actually partnered with John uh, with his programs, and we teach a lot of those throughout the state for free. So if you want to um, check those out, healthyrelationshipsutah.org for for more information about the the classes that are offered and other classes offered across the state of Utah. Um, All right, John, before we let you go, as we wrap up, we like to... Um, just kind of get your, your takeaway of the day. If you have, um, one bit, you know, one piece of information yet yeah, not to like before, right? No, just kidding. If you had just one takeaway, what is it that you really want, um, our listeners to remember from our discussion?
3: Yeah, I think I would just say, um, whether you are parents with uh, kids that are growing up and you're, and you're guiding them. Ultimately, to make good decisions in their relationships, particularly romantic relationships, and then ultimately marriage or choosing a life partner, or you're single. Um, in, in any of these situations, what I would say is kind of what our, um, motto is. Um, relationships are of the heart, but as human beings, we have thinking processes. We make decisions. We have judgments. We, we have the ability to be um, analytic and our head and our heart really is our, you know, they are designed to work together. And I would just say, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's with your kids, helping them to know, help them to know how to have their head and their heart really be in harmony. And that's going to empower them more than any, it's going to empower you, it's going to empower your kids. It's very, very empowering when the head and the heart work together.
1: Mm, love that.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Liz, what about you? What's your takeaway? That
1: that's brilliant. You know, I often say to couples, especially those who are dating, single, that there's very little you can do to compensate after marriage for choosing poorly before marriage. Right. So that, that selection process is so key. And I, I can't think of a, of a better tool than RAM, the relationship assessment model about knowing, trusting, committing, relying, touching. It's beautiful. What about you, Jay? What's your take home takeaway for you? Yeah, today? you
2: know, um, previous to this, I thought the ram, you know, okay, it's for those who are single and it's are like getting to know people. But I really love the the perspective and the way that John ha- you've talked about today. The that continues in our relationships. We we continually get to know. We continually we, you know that that trust um, can can be strengthened over time and rely and that commitment should be getting stronger. I love that, that it, it doesn't, it's not just for, for singles and relationships, but what we've been talking about today really does apply in, in all relationships, as you've mentioned um, before, John, that, that Ram that relationship attachment model does. So if you're not familiar with it, you've got to get familiar with it. You've got to go check out the resources, get the books, get the information because um, John Van Epp really does offer so much great information for, for singles, for couples uh, for parents, uh, as well. So John, I can't thank you enough. Thanks again for coming and joining us, uh, on our podcast today.
3: It's been great to be here. I, I really, really appreciate it and, um, look forward to maybe coming back and, uh, we could, we could actually go really hardcore about applying that Ram to long-term relationships rather than partner selection. But, um, we hinted at a lot of that and, uh, so it's just very, very grateful. And I just wanna say a shout out to um all those wonderful people in Utah that are teaching my programs and have just been such a support. Um uh I just am so appreciative and grateful for that kind of partnership. It's been phenomenal for my life and um and I hope hopefully been really a blessing and a benefit to those that go through the courses.
2: Yeah, it really has. Uh and we hope that that partnership continues for For years to come. So thanks again, um, John. And that does it for us, my friends. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of Stronger Marriage Connection.
1: And remember, it's the small things that make for a stronger marriage connection. See you next time.
2: Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore and what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at StrongerMarriage.org where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers, Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott, and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible.
0: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.